You're listening to Snyder & Associates podcast series, the civil engineering planning and design firm focused on thinking beyond engineering to improve the quality of life within the communities we serve. This episode's hosts are Jeff Walters and Brent Blanchard. Today I have Brent with me. He is a professional here at Snyder & Associates who works with different types of air permitting. It's something that a lot of our clients are needing on a regular basis for various types of projects. And so we're going to dive into that and we're going to explain the process of air permitting, the types of permits, and why it's important to obtain them. So with that, let's get started on our discussion. On a typical project, who usually needs air permits and you know, what types of projects generally need air permits? Really, any business or industry, any facility that is going to put in a process or a piece of equipment that's going to emit any of the regulated pollutants or an air toxic into the ambient air needs to get a construction permit. It would be from the Iowa DNR except for in Polk and Lynn County, which have their own programs. There's really two types of permits, the construction permit, which we've been talking about. On the other end, there's an operating permit that you must obtain if you're a major source in the state of Iowa, or if you're in Polk and Lynn County, you also have to obtain one if you're a minor source. So if we are in need of equipment that's going to require permitting, are we going to get both of those permits then in general? It's going to depend upon the size of the facility. If it's classified as a major facility, then it's going to have to get the operating permit, which is also commonly referred to as a Title V permit. Horses in the state of Iowa do not have to, except for in Polk and Lynn County, so they would have to obtain both. Let's talk about some of the initials and acronyms within the air permitting world. You know, I see them on a fairly regular basis, but even I get kind of confused with what some of those are. You know, we talk about Title V and MSAT and some of these other lingos within the air permitting jargon. Can we talk about those a little bit? Maybe help me out so I can help others? Sure. I guess Title V is a federal program that the state is required to comply with. To be subject to these Title V permits, you have to be a major source, which means you have the potential to emit over 100 tons of a single criteria pollutant or 10 tons of a single toxic pollutant or 25 tons of all your toxics combined. So it can get confusing when you start talking about major sources because then you also have the PSD program, which is Prevention of Significant Deterioration. So really, you know, each industry, if they don't know, has to go through this on a case-by-case basis to make this determination. Okay. How about the PM 2.5 and that kind of jargon? Is that still something that we're concerned about in the air permitting world? Yes, PM is particulate matter, and then it's broken down into PM10 and PM2.5, which is the regulated part of it. The 10 and the 2.5 correlates to the size of the particle. So a PM10 particle is one that's 10 microns or less in size. A PM2.5 particle is one that is 2.5 microns or less in size. Okay. And when we start talking about PM10 and PM2.5, is that going down all the way to like emergency generators? 
Right, yeah. The generators have the potential to emit the sulfur oxides, the nitrogen oxides, some VOCs, volatile organic compounds, and then also the particulates, the PM10 and the PM2.5. And, you know, with some of the diesel generators, they can add up to be a significant amount. To go along with that, a lot of sources take that 500-hour limit because that allows them to be classified as an intermittent source. So then they do not have to go through dispersion modeling. And with the generators, that brings you also into a couple more of the acronyms you were talking about because they're subject to what are called the NSPS and also the NESHAPs, the National Emission Standards for Hazard Air Pollutants. The EPA's developed standards for both diesel and natural gas generators, the owner or the manufacturer have to meet. Those standards are based on the same type of operations that a facility will operate at. So there's a really hard line to draw to be compliant with those emission standards and have the facility comfortable in the operation of them. Let's build on that a little bit and kind of back up. Say I'm an industry, I'm a banker, or I need one of these generators, and I don't know exactly what I want, but I know I want emergency backup for whatever reason. Walk me through the process and schedule to obtain a permit here in Iowa. If it's a new process or something that's not as familiar to DNR, it could take probably two to three weeks in order to get that permit back. And is that fairly run-of-the-mill permitting? What happens if you're a, a major industry or you're, you're yeah. adding on a, a complex project that may require modeling? What's that look like? The more complex it is, the longer it's going to take, of course. If the project has to go through modeling, it depends upon is the facility going to submit the model or are they going to ask DNR to run the model? If DNR just has to review the model, it will speed the process up. If DNR has to run the model, you're looking at adding several more days to the review time. And if you get into the PSD, the Prevention of Significant Deterioration for the really large projects, there's a 30-day waiting period for public comment that the facility has to go through. And if anybody in the public requests it, they have to hold a public meeting, which could also delay it. So after one of our clients has received a permit, what are some of the things that we do to help our client with the permitting or post-permitting during their operations? When you submit the application, there is a checkbox on one of the forms that asks if the facility wants to review the draft permit prior to issuance. I always recommend that the client check that as yes. And then that way you can see the draft permit ahead of time before it's issued and work through those issues and whether or not limits are required. Are they in a format that the facility is already doing? In other words, if there's a requirement that limits the gallons of paint per hour, is the facility monitoring the gallons of paint or are they doing hour meters so that you can get all those record keeping requirements lined up ahead of time and try to reduce the burden on the facility to come up with a new accounting system or a new recording system, it really helps. There's a word that I think some of our clients get scared of, and that's compliance. And a few of our clients get really uptight and scared when they hear the term notice of violation. 
because they're out of compliance or there's an issue at their facility related to their permit. What have you done to help clients in that kind of situation when the DNR or maybe the county will call up the client and say, hey, there's an issue with your operation, you're going to be out of compliance with your permit, or we're going to send you an NOV? What steps do we take to prevent that? Or when it does happen, what do we do for our clients to rectify that problem? Yeah, I mean, the best way to avoid an issue is to go through those construction permits when they get them and sit down with the facility and make sure that they understand, you know, what record keeping, what operating limits they need, and maybe help them develop the forms or some type of data recording device, whatever they need. It varies with the industry and how involved they want to be in it. But try to develop all those things once you have that construction permit in hand so that they are in compliance to begin with. And if they fall out of compliance, the best thing to do is contact us right away and work to come up with a strategy to come back into compliance. I mean, the worst thing to do is to try to cover it up because then that opens up a whole another set of regulations and can get kicked up to the state level or EPA level then. It's best to avoid all that if you can. So we've talked about construction permits a little bit. Have we dove into some of our operational permit issues and concerns or are we kind of overlapping here a little bit? They do overlap in that your operating permit, referred to as the Title V permit, is really a compilation of all the construction permits that have been issued to that facility. For the compliance, those that have a Title V permit have to certify that they are in compliance with their monitoring requirements. If they're not, they have to submit additional forms stating what units are out of compliance, why they're out of compliance, and when they'll be back in compliance. And then once a year, they have to submit an annual compliance statement in which they go through and list every requirement that that facility has in regards to air permitting. Then has to state that either they were in compliance full time or part of the time. If they were out of compliance at any time, they have to submit the forms on which emission units were out of compliance, why they were out of compliance, how long they were out of compliance, and if they're still out of compliance, when they'll be back into compliance. If a facility is out of compliance, are the counties or DNR or EPA requiring the facility to shut their operations down at any time? That would be very rare. Normally, it depends upon the type of violation that it is. If it's an emission violation or is it a record-keeping violation. If it's a record-keeping or you violate your operating limits without exceeding the emission limit, then you can usually get by with revised construction permit or, or some type of compliance plan that you can submit It'll have benchmarks in there on what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, and how long it'll take you to come back into compliance. So what are some of the biggest issues that we have with construction permitting these days? I'd say probably the biggest frustration right now, not only for the client, but also for DNR, is the PM 2.5 dispersion modeling. Because there's such a narrow window between the background levels and the National Ambient Air Quality Standard that it's really hard to get your process to fall into that range. So you'll end up with a lot more facilities having to model for 2.5 
If they exceed that limit, it used to be you could raise the stack and other things like that, which were fairly simple fixes that really don't work for 2.5. You still end up with these hot spots and it's frustrating for the client and also for DNR. I mean, the DNR can't issue the permit if it's going to violate the standard. And in most cases, they really help you come up with the different scenarios to try to get it to pass. That is one of the biggest issues right now. I recall several years ago, we had a client that was frustrated with DNR because they didn't have rules, but they had guidance. Is that still the case today? Yeah, that really doesn't seem to be as major concern as what it was. There are still guidelines out there, and it stems more from EPA than it does the DNR. EPA is the one that comes out with the guidance, and then DNR will have to adopt it. And they really can't adopt guidance. They need a firm rule in order for the DNR to adopt it and then to enforce it. What are some of the foreseeable changes you anticipate in the air permitting realm in the next six months, year, three years, five years? At the state level, I would anticipate a push to put more things online. Right now, you know, that is an option. I would see them trying to make that mandatory like they did the Title V permitting. And then at the federal level, they also are pushing more towards paperless accounting systems. And I would anticipate with the new administration that we have that the greenhouse gases will become a bigger issue. And I could see a big push to make those a regulated pollutant. Who do you think will be the next client or industry that will start dipping their toes in the air permitting world? We discussed that a little bit earlier about, you know, post-derecho and various entities wanting to have emergency generator backup. What else do you see out in the future? What I see would be continuing growth in the data centers like Facebook here in Altoona. They actually have 100 diesel backup generators. And with Amazon moving in and Microsoft in the south side of Des Moines and Dallas County, really it's because here in Iowa, we have fairly cheap water supply, which is major for them for the cooling part of it. We have stable and fairly cheap electricity. Also, we do not have earthquakes. So I could see more of those type of facilities moving into the area. But also, I'd probably just want to remind the clients that the construction permit is a pre-construction requirement, and you have to have that permit in hand before you initiate construction or be in operating the equipment. Facilities trying to get the jump on that is where you see probably the greatest number of NOVs issued. Brent, I thank you for your time today talking about the world of air permitting. I learned quite a bit today, and I appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Snyder & Associates podcast series, a civil engineering, planning, and design firm focused on thinking beyond engineering to improve quality of life within the communities we serve. Find content related to this episode on snyder-associates.com.